Welcome to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time, where we aim to break down barriers, demystify blindness, and promote real and lasting change. Join host David Steinmetz as he connects us with professionals who are making a positive impact in the community. These leaders help empower individuals who are blind or have other disabilities to live a full and inclusive life. Let's lean in as David kicks off today's conversation. Good afternoon, and welcome to this episode of Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time. This show is about connecting with thought leaders, organizations, and individuals in the community who are dedicated to improving the lives and of people who are blind and creating full inclusion in the community. I'm your host, David Steinmetz. I'm really excited for today's uh, show today. We have Mr. Steve Welker. Steve is a motivational speaker. He is the chairman of the board for Arizona Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired, as well as an author of two books. Uh, The first book uh, Steve wrote is The World at My Fingertips, uh, Triumph Over Tragedy. And he co-authored a book with Dr. Christine Welker on radical resiliency. So I'm really excited. We'll talk a little bit more about radical resiliency throughout the conversation today, as well as, as Steve's story. Steve, besides just having uh, this great background and, and um, things that you're doing in the community, you also had a very full and business professional life. Would you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and your professional life? You bet, David. And, uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me to be on. It's just a pleasure. So after I graduated from ASU with a business degree, I started my career in the insurance field in property and casualty. And I worked for, uh, initially, for companies. I worked for Transamerica Insurance and Westfield Insurance. And I did that for about 10 years. And then I um, went to the other side, and I worked as a commercial insurance broker here in Phoenix. It was a really interesting career. A lot of people think it was probably boring, but uh, there are some great people. I've still got friends from that industry, and I couldn't have picked a better one. I just, I felt really I'm blessed that I've fallen into such a great career field. Fantastic. And I, I appreciate you giving that background. So let's really kick off our show here. I really think that uh, this is going to be informative to our, to our listeners, to our audience out there in terms of multiple factors. One, the triumph over tragedy and tying in with that radical resiliency about I think those things kind of go hand in hand, as well as what we're doing here, changing the perception is really how do you overcome mindsets or how do you um, change your own mindset and, and move forward in life, uh, no matter what that is, so that you can live you know, a more happy life, a uh, full life, and uh, not just personally, but as, as a professional as well. And so I think it's a really great connection to what you're doing and your motivational speaking and your, your training programs as well as uh, the work that you do at ACBVI. So Steve, if you wouldn't mind um, sharing, if if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your background in terms of your blindness and and how it it was that you uh, lost your vision. You bet, David. Um, So until I was 37 years old, I had perfect vision and uh, I'd never given blindness another thought. And one day, uh, my wife and I were traveling north on 68th Street in Scottsdale, and an impaired driver was being 
involved in a slow, pursuit, a slow speed pursuit. The police were behind them with their lights on, uh, but it was a slow speed pursuit. So I pulled my Jeep Cherokee up onto the sidewalk, thinking they were just going to pass us by. But what happened was the vehicle that was being pursued um, suddenly jumped the center median and it hit us head on. And it threw the Jeep Cherokee into the middle of the intersection on its roof. And it um, completely crushed the driver's compartment. Mm. My wife had to be extricated from the vehicle. She was taken over to Scottsdale Memorial Hospital. She'd broken both of her clavicles, uh, crushed her left foot, and had a, a TBI, traumatic brain injury. She ended up spending about 12 days in the hospital. I was uh, flown over to what used to be Maricopa County Hospital over on Roosevelt, and I wasn't supposed to survive the day. I uh, had sustained such a blow to my head. My brain was swelling. A shunt had to be installed. You know, it was uh, nip and tuck there for a while. Mm. In that process of the brain swelling, it caused a stroke of my optic nerve, which uh, was going to leave me blind. They didn't know that at the time. But at that time, they put me into a drug-induced coma for, so that I could heal. And so uh, when I came out of the coma, I had a TBI, and they didn't know if I'd be able to talk. Mm. Well, obviously, <laughs> I can talk. Mm. I had no problem with that. And so um, at about this time, our baby boys, our twin baby boys, Colton and Dylan, were born while I was coming out of my coma. Oh, my. Yeah, but when I was told about this, I was in such a brain fog, I couldn't even process it. Mm-hmm. I barely knew who I was, much less that I'd become a father. And so uh, it was a very uh, challenging time. And I, um, I just thought, David, my life was over. I mean, mm-hmm. what can I do as a blind guy? You know, really, I spent two months in the hospital. I got out and I'm like, I, I can't do this. Steve Walker isn't supposed to be blind. And so I remember distinctly one evening I was sitting on my couch in my family room feeling sorry for myself. And I had every reason to feel sorry for myself. And I heard those boys laughing and cooing in their high chairs. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Those boys need a father. And my wife needs a husband. Yeah, I may not be the father or the husband I thought I was going to be, but I got to figure this out. Because I had two choices. One was to crawl into a ball, figure out a way to get through it, uh, which wasn't going to look pretty, or ask for some outside help. Right. I was able to do the latter and put my life back together. Wow, that's a very impactful story, uh, Steve, and, and thank you for sharing that with us today. Paralleling to my situation, you know, in terms of that blindness, right, is it's coming into something that is so unfamiliar to unimaginable and having to really overcome your own perception of, of what a blind person is. You mentioned, you know, sitting on the couch and how am I going to do this? How am I going to be a good and perfect husband, a good father? Uh, how am I going to raise my children? All those things went through my mind as well when I was diagnosed, but later in life, uh, because I just felt like, okay, there's nothing to this blindness until one day, you know, a light pole went off on the side of my head. Did I realize that there is actually something to, to blindness and, and work my way through those scenarios and trauma of loss and then coming out on the other side of being you know who I met who I'm meant to be so it uh, sounds very parallel uh, stories but different situations so uh, thank you for sharing that so you mentioned um, that 
as you were sitting on the couch looking, uh, thinking about how you're going to do this, um, um, you went and received some uh, rehabilitation services. Uh, you want to share a little bit about that for, for our audience maybe today? Absolutely. Thank you, David. <clears throat> so once I figured out that I needed to get rehab, my wife pulled out the yellow pages. <clears throat> and for your younger listeners that don't know what yellow pages are, <laughs> we used to get these huge books with all the phone numbers in it. And you had white pages for residential and yellow pages for business. And she looks up blindness and she finds this agency called the Arizona Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired and that they did rehabilitation. And, you know, again, we knew nothing about this. And so we went down there and our initial visits were just uh, counseling, helping me to understand what it's going to mean to be a blind person in a sighted world helping her to understand uh, what it's going to mean to be married to a blind man. This is not what she signed up for. Hmm. And studies will show you that uh, 90% of the time, marriages don't stay together. But I was so fortunate that she wasn't going to let us be a statistic. She was going to make sure that we were able to make our marriage work one way or another. From there, I went over to the uh, daily living skills training. When you lose your sight, you have to learn how to do everything all over again. You know, cooking, cleaning, showering, shaving, everything you can think of has to be done in a different way. And so I learned those skills at the center. We have a demo kitchen at the center, you know, where they uh, taught me how to cook and, you know, how to not kill myself in the process. <laughs> also, how to use, put uh, bump dots on like things like microwave and ovens and washers and dryers, all the things that you need to do. Uh, just to function in your home. Also went to orientation and mobility. Uh, how to use a white cane on a sighted guide. You know, how to get around, again, without killing yourself. I learned all those things at the center. But the most important thing I learned at the center, I believe, I guess not most important, <laughs> nothing's more important than getting around without killing yourself. Right. But another important thing I learned was adaptive computer technology training. So... I started learning how, first of all, I had to learn how to type. I didn't know how to type. And so my wife, my patient, amazing wife, uh, sat with me and taught me how to type. Uh, and then I learned how to use something called the screen reader. And a screen reader, as many of your listeners probably know, is something that does just that. It, it reads to a blind person what's on the screen, and we uh, maneuver it with the keypad. Uh, what a great piece of technology that is. And so uh, once I learned that, it leveled the playing field for me. I was able to use email, word processing documents, get on the internet, all this stuff. And I was doing stuff I couldn't even do. I didn't do when I was signing. It was just, uh, it was just amazing to learn that, that skill. And once I had that skill mastered, a year after my accident, I went back to work. I was working for an insurance agency in Phoenix, and they created an inside position for me. And I was able to go back to work. And I tell you, David, it was scary going back to work. You know, I'm going down those aisles of every department and I'm tapping my cane. A hush would come over mm -hmm. the department as I went in. All these people that had last seen me as a sighted person see me trying to get down these hallways as a blind person. And they're thinking, how's he going to do this? Mm -hmm. And I know that's what they're thinking because that's what I was thinking. How am I going to sure. do this? Yep. You know, but day by day, week by week, you build the confidence. You start to... Uh, be productive in the workplace again. And you know this, David, I can't over 
overestimate how much of your self-esteem you get from your career. And I, I thought I'd lost that, but I didn't. I was able to go back to work. And then about a year later, I decided to open my own insurance agency. And I did that for myself. I wanted to prove to myself that I could run a business, basically just be able to uh, be functional. I ran that independent agency in the Southeast Valley for about 10 years. Uh, really enjoyed doing it, but I felt like God had more planned for me. Nothing wrong with being an insurance agent, mm -hmm. uh, but I thought there was just more that I should be doing. And so I sold the agency and I initially finished uh, my book, World of My Fingertips, which is my autobiography. And up to that point, I had been a volunteer spokesperson for the Valley of the Sun United Way. I had done that for like a decade. And I really liked telling my story. And so I expanded and I uh, decided to do, I call it motivational speaking for lack of a better term, um, but it's more resiliency training. You know, just teaching people that everybody has challenges. Mm. Maybe mine and yours is a little bit more obvious than uh, most, but everybody has challenges. And, you know, you need to figure out a way to overcome those challenges. So I went out on the road and I, uh, me and my trusty guide, Doug Orbit, and my assistant, and we traveled the country for several years uh, just telling that message. And it was so rewarding. And just, it was just such a, uh, it's been, it's just been, I'm so thankful for it, is all I can say. Wow, very, very impactful about the, the training. And, and we talked um, in the industry and in, in the rehab services, uh, vocation rehabilitation services. Um, it's more than just preparing somebody for a job, right? It's teaching all the other life skills because those things uh, that you do in your daily life at home or grocery shopping, cooking, et cetera, or even out in the community, all contribute to your success as an employee. You have to be able to uh, show up on time and uh, be prepared, uh, dressed appropriately, et cetera, uh, and take care of all the, the outside things before you're even ready to go to work. So those things, those skills have to be taught first, as well as, this, as you mentioned, assistive technology that levels the playing field uh, is crucial to, to that. I wonder if you don't mind if I ask, um, you know, what that conversation might have been um, as my audience were, were focused on connecting to uh, business leaders and organizations that uh, may want or have ideas about hiring people with disabilities, but often wonder, you know, what that looks like. You mentioned everybody kind of that hush in the room as you uh, walk down the hallways, wondering how this is going to happen. What did that initial conversation, if you don't mind me asking, uh, seem like to you, Steve? Um, <clears throat> my initial conversation when I went back to work? Yes, sir. Well, I uh, contacted my old employer, and I'm very fortunate they were receptive to it because I had learned all this stuff at ACBVI that blind people could work and they could be productive, uh, but most people don't know that. And so I had to show my past employer that I could do it. And so I literally uh, had them come down to ACBVI and I showed them how the screen reader worked and how I could access all these different programs. They were so impressed with it that they uh, offered to purchase all my hardware and mm -hmm. software for me. And so I came back to work and my computer was there. Um, you know, JAWS was already installed and I just had to get to work. And again, I'm just 
fortunate because I know it's not that easy for everybody. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And, and oftentimes, whether it's in a, in a job interview um, or coming into an organization is really, you have to demonstrate your capabilities, right? And you have to set yourself above the other candidates if you're interviewing for a job. And, and when you walk into a room with a cane or a guide dog or, you know, maybe even uh, having some vision, having a visual impairment that you don't need a mobility tool, um, but you have that added, I would call it stress or added factor that you have to, to prove and demonstrate that you can do the job and the technology is there. So I always encourage uh, people, people that I meet with when talking to them about bring a computer with you, bring a stylus and a scribe in and take notes or pull up your notes that you have questions for the, for the interviewer. It helps, I think, uh, alleviate some of the fear unknown from that other side of the desk and also shows that you're prepared for that interview or that conversation. So um, great that, that the insurance company was willing to come down to ACBVI and see firsthand um, that you have, one, you have the skills to do it, and two, the technology that that empowers you to do it. Yeah, I was very, very fortunate. I realized that, you know, that's our, one of our challenges, ACBVI, is getting employers to understand that with some accommodations, blind, visually impaired, hearing impaired people can be very productive. Yeah, absolutely. So, through your path through through blindness and, and learning, and as you mentioned, you um, went out and started talking to organizations and different groups about resiliency and, and writing the book uh, with your wife, uh, Radical Resiliency. T- can you tell us more about what that looks like, what that training program looks like, and, and things that, that organizations or individual audience members will gain from that? You mean from uh, writing a book? <laughs> from radical resiliency and, and understanding. Oh, oh, okay. And, and um, I can imagine writing a book with your wife was, was great and great experience. Well, that's good you imagined that, David. Uh, <laughs> I liken it to uh, wallpapering a room with your wife. Um, <laughs> it could be challenging. She's a better editor than me. And so, uh, you know, we have some back and forth. Sure. But we're still married, you know, it, uh, it probably made the marriage stronger. But so let me tell you, um, my wife went on, she was a pharmaceutical sales rep at Bristol-Myers-Squibb when we got married. Uh, but after the accident, she wanted to do more. So she went back to school and she got her doctorate in psychology and became a counselor. For her doctoral thesis, her theme was resiliency. And imagine that. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, what she discovered were some keys to overcoming challenges, which I incorporated into what I call radical resiliency. Uh, and they are quite simply three things, the resiliency triangle. Uh, that's uh, one, you have to have the proper attitude. You, you know, if you got a bad attitude, whether you can see or not, you're not gonna be successful. Mm-hmm. And so um, some of the sub areas there, you're not born with a positive or mental at- or negative attitude. Some people think I was just born this way. Uh, Well, that's bunk. Uh, You can be about as happy as you make up your mind to be. Also, you need to learn how to replace negative thoughts with positive thoughts. It's easy to have negative thoughts when things are going poorly, uh, but you have to train your brain uh, to think of something positive. It's hard. It's hard. I remember when 
my sons were 16. We went down to get them their first car at CarMax. So we go down there and we're doing all the paperwork and all that. It's all very exciting. And then we're going to go out and, and get the car and drive it off the lot. And we're walking from the sales desk to the car. And I almost lost it. I was just so mad because here's this pivotal moment in my son's lives, in my life. And I can't see it. I can't see that car out there. I can't see the joy on my son's faces. And I almost lost it. And then I had to bite my tongue and say, if I start crying right now, I'm going to ruin this day for everybody. I need to replace that negative thought with a positive one. And by the time I got out to that car, I was able to do a 180 and say, no, I need to get back in line here. I'm going to ruin everybody's day. Mm-hmm. I was able to do that. Uh, also, you know, you need to keep active. Um, you know, if you just want to sit around a mobile day, it's going to turn negative. So you need to figure out things you can do in your life, whether you're working or you're retired, to stay active. Uh, you also need to find the silver lining. Uh, there's always some silver lining. You just do the best you can to find it. And then finally, you got to keep a sense of humor. There were times where my wife and I, we just thought we couldn't go on and something funny would happen and you just got to go with it. So we push the sense of humor. Uh, the second point of the resiliency triangle is that uh, <clears throat> you need to have a strong support group. So that support group may only be one person. It may be a team. It may be your spouse. It may not be your spouse. It's got to be somebody on your side cheering you on, telling you that you can do it. Now, maybe you have to have a counselor to help you with this or somebody at your church or your synagogue, you know, or any place you can find one. Um, but you've got to have some kind of a positive support team to help you on. Finally, the third point of the triangle, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, to volunteer, to give back. Uh, it's a great place to find a support team. I found it at ACBVI. I got more from them than they ever got for me. But join some kind of a group, whether it's a social group or not-for-profit, whatever it may be, something that can help you to interact and to give you a sense of purpose and to make you feel like you're doing something. So basically, those three key points of the triangle um, are the, the, the ones I packaged up for radical resiliency. And those are the ones that I uh, talk about in my uh, speeches. Yeah, very important uh, really is, is and you know, those key elements there, the triangle and, and having that positive attitude. A lot of times, and what helps spur, spur my show is having these conversations with you know, rideshare drivers or others out on the street who say, you know, oh, I, I couldn't survive if I lost my vision. And I said it almost in the same exact way. We didn't uh, talk beforehand about this, but really it's, you know what, we all have challenges in our life and we have to find ways to overcome those challenges, right? And uh, we have a family to support, ourselves to support, just because my eyes don't work doesn't mean that my brain doesn't work or that, you know, I'm able to function and and do the things that that I want to do. And and when you're faced with a, a situation whether it's an injury, um, disability, family issues, divorce, loss of job, whatever. We all have some form of challenge in in our life and we have to kind of dig deep and find find that inner strength to to move forward. Um, And it's very easy to 
sit in a place, fear, unknown, or negative thoughts, and they just kind of continue to build on that. So I, I think that that's really important. Uh, you mentioned activities and, and volunteering um, and volunteering at ACBVI. How long have you been with, with that organization? <clears throat> well, uh, starting off there as a client and then uh, eventually joining the board, I've been there over 25 years. And you know, over those years, I've seen a lot, of, a lot of changes, a lot of exciting things going on. But it's like that uh, Eagles Hotel California song, you know, I can check out, but I can never leave. <laughs> That's the way I feel, and I'm thankful for that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Fantastic. And through that, that you know, I've connected with you uh, through ACBVI as, as well. And as a chair, as a board member for myself, I'm really able to see the transformation people coming in, not knowing where their life's going to go and coming out of the program, having a, a sense of direction, uh, purpose. And it, it's more than just teaching the, the technology. It's, it's really creating and helping heal the whole person, uh, I, I believe, in what I, the stories, uh, clients that we meet and, and stories that are told by those clients at uh, ACBVI. It's just incredible. Uh, Steve, other um, activities, things that that you do in your personal life uh, you mentioned also one of those is you know keeping active as as a person who is blind and you know maybe debunk some of the the perceptions right that what someone who's blind can do what are some of your activities that that you like to do in your free time yeah i've been able to pick up a bunch of things i did before and that happened slowly it didn't happen all at once but one of them is playing golf i was an avid a golfer before the accident. I was an insurance agent. So of course I was an avid golfer, <laughs> but I learned that there are a lot of really good blind golfers out there. I'm not one of them, but what I learned about golf is the beauty is just getting out there on a nice sunny day and being with your buddies and smelling the grass, you know, so mm-hmm. I don't score that well. I cheat a lot. Nobody ever calls me on who's going to call a blind guy on cheating, you know, <laughs> But I enjoy getting out there. And then every once in a while, I'll outdrive my buddies. And so I get to harass them the rest of the day. There you go. Also was an avid snow skier before the accident. I skied all over the south, the western United States. I was sure I wasn't going to do that again as a blind guy. I'm not particularly brave. But about 10 months after the accident, a buddy of mine had me up on a top of a hill at Lake Tahoe learning to ski as a blind guy. I got to tell you, it's a combination of sheer exhilaration and terror, skiing blind. But for those few minutes when you're on that run and you're just making your turns, you're no longer disabled. You're just, you're just skiing. Mm-hmm. And it's so rewarding. I also uh, played guitar a lot before the accident. I was in a failed rock and roll band in college. <laughs> Thus the hearing loss. But I learned, obviously, you can play guitar. I had to change some of the things I did. I had to practice uh, to learn things to do it correctly. But I'm a better uh, guitar player now than I was when I could see, which ain't saying much, but still. And also, to keep busy uh, during COVID, I took singing lessons online and just part of staying busy. So, you know, I'm not a half-bad singer now. I'm not great, but uh, it was just something I was able to do. And 
I'm not trying to be braggadocious here. I'm not good at any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm average at a lot of things. Uh, but the importance is staying busy and just doing something. And so those were the things I was able to do. Yeah, that that's fantastic. Uh, I, I give you all the kudos for things that you're doing, uh, singing and and more importantly, the, the skiing, you know, I've uh, been in a golf cart behind the wheel of a golf cart and, you know, maybe going two miles an hour, but you feel like you're going a hundred miles an hour when yeah. you don't have that, that, that perception and so forth and that sensation. So kudos to you for, for getting back out on the slopes and, and having that experience and, you know, uh, connecting with friends or family and, and having that shared experience versus saying that I can't do it or that my disability, my blindness is going to hold me back from doing the things I want to do. And that's part of that positive thinking and kind of overcoming some of those fears. Yeah. Like I said, there is nothing special about me. You know, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And some things I just couldn't do, you know, you write those off, but until you try, you won't know. Sure. Absolutely. Other other things that that I know that that you're very involved in, um, besides in the blindness community, is um, providing information about service dogs or guide dogs. And you mentioned you have a, a guide dog orbit uh, that you do a lot of activities with. Can you share a little bit about your role as an ambassador as a guide dog user? And getting orbit changed my life. So I'd been blind for 20 years when I finally got smart enough to get a guide dog. They're a, a huge commitment. You know, they're just not like a pet. You've got to, you know, groom them. You've got to feed them. You've got to care for them. They're with you all the time. <clears throat> but when I finally got over it, I got him a guide dogs to the desert in Palm Springs. He's a standard poodle. And I had to go out there for a month to learn uh, how to use a guide dog. By that time, Orbit had been in training for two years. He was with uh, Puppy Razors for a year and a half. And then he was in guide dog training uh, for six months. So by the time I got out to Palm Springs, he was fully trained. I was the one. I was the weak link in the chain. I still am. <laughs> um, so we go out there and, you know, eventually we're just walking around the camp. Initially, we're walking around the campus, but then eventually we're walking, you know, down the streets of Palm Springs. And it gave me so much independence. It's just it's hard to explain. And so when I got back, uh, he's at my side all the time. You know, when we travel the country to do speeches, you know, where I go uh, places on vacation, whatever, he's with me. He's with me here in my office right now. Uh, when I go out, I go out for a walk every night, except for now when it's 114 out, I don't want to overheat him or me. Right, right. So we're not doing that right now. But typically I go out on a walk every night, you know, just to get out and get some exercise. When I go out in public, he has improved my social life so much. People never want to come over and ask you about your white cane. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Nothing against white canes, but I go out with Orbit, and I mean, people just want to come over and talk to us. And I just love talking about him and what guide dogs do. Again, I wish I would have done a lot earlier, but I can't complain that mm-hmm. he's given me so much. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the word independence, um, and, and and you know, I say kind of freedom at, at the same time, right? Is you pick up the harness and you have to. Uh, you know, give the dog the commands and things that they taught you at the guide dog school. The dog's doing his job, working, following those commands, following a path, um, you know, the most uh, safe and and typically, you know, straight line of, of direction to get to that end point that, that you're working towards. 
And um, so it's amazing how the the efforts that are put through in the training program, whether it's the the puppy raisers, um, the the volunteers, uh, and the trainers, uh, to, to the work that goes into uh, that guide dog um, to be able to do those things. I always say, you know, the, the guide dog, a cane helps you find all the obstacles in your path so you can go around them or, you know, where a guide dog always removes those barriers, uh, obstacles in, in your path. And to me, I um, feel that, that is a lot easier to, to go through in life that way, um, is finding ways to uh, improve yourself to remove those barriers. Um, and for me, that's the, the right tool to do that. As you mentioned, also kind of from the, from the social aspect, um, a little less, I think, awkwardness in, in public that perception again, when people see a, a cane, I mean, someone who's blind, so there may be different uh, perceptions and things that you, you know, people grew up with or what society says it should be. <laughs> and the guide dog changes that. And I think oftentimes changes that perception. And another quick thing about guide dogs, um, they estimate that by the time I got orbit, guide dogs of the desert had invested $50,000 in him. Uh, that's their breeding program, their puppy raising program, their guide dog training, all the campus that goes with that, the payroll, <clears throat> you know, the uh, the rent is very expensive. But the good news is that there's no cost for the user. Hmm. So mm-hmm. I went over there and I got this guide, this $50,000 guide dog for free. And if you want, they'll help you, you know, with expenses as you go. Cost is not an, uh, a reason not to get a guide dog. Mm-hmm. There are other reasons, you know, but uh, that's not one of them. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, as you mentioned, as you were discussing um, the need and investigation and, and searching for and getting and working a guide dog, and you mentioned that commitment. Uh, it's like having another kid. It's always, you know, that, that uh, fourth kid in the room in my house. There are definitely things, factors that go into, you know, your lifestyle, what you want, what you expect out of a guide dog and what dog guide dogs can really do. Um, and having those things as thought for before getting and getting a dog. And when you get home, having, you know, some unreal, expe- unreal expectations that the dog is going to solve all your mobility needs and, and they don't always. Yeah, that's right. Connecting the services that things that you've done in your life, the, your, your books and helping people change their thoughts or positive, you know, from negative to, to positive thoughts, being more resilient, flexible, and working with different organizations, um, as whether it's the guide dogs of the desert, as you mentioned, ACBVI, and really giving back to the community of those things. If you wouldn't mind sharing, maybe what, what does that bring to you? And then how, how does you know, an organization like ACBVI give back or bring to the community? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, David. <clears throat> um, we are doing some very exciting things at the center right now. <clears throat> we have been at that uh, campus at 32nd Street in Roosevelt for 70 some years. And we've been a tenant there for all that time. We take up about a third of the space that's there. Well, last April, we purchased the entire campus, and we have a goal. We have a dream. We want to build something called the Arizona Center for Empowerment. And what this is will be like a one-stop shop for blind, visually impaired, hearing impaired people, so they can come down and basically spend the day there. 
as you know, David, for blind people getting from point A to point B is one of the biggest hassles we face. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to rely on family and friends, uh, public transit, don't even get me started on Dial-A-Ride uh, or, you know, Uber, which is very expensive. Mm -hmm. And so our thinking is if we can get people down there and basically uh, serve their needs for a whole day, it makes their life easier. So uh, what we would like to do is to put tenants in there that can serve our clients. And our thinking is a client would come in in the morning and go to, uh, say, rehab services, folk rehab, uh, whatever it may be, or go do social programs, you know, arts and crafts or, you know, uh, wood turning, whatever they want to do, and then have lunch. You know, we have a kitchen there so they can have lunch there and then go to some of the other services that would be available. We just entered into a contract with Terrell's Health. We're going to have them on campus. so. Our clients will be able to get their white cane or their guide dog, go down the sidewalk and go to a doctor's appointment. You don't have to get a ride. You just go down the sidewalk. So there's your doctor's appointment. Great. You're sick. You need uh, some medicine. There's going to be a pharmacy there. You know what a hassle that is. You get a ride to the doctor. Then you got to figure out how to get to the drugstore mm -hmm. to get your medicine. Uh, there'll be a pharmacy there. And when you're sick, you don't want all those extra challenges. So also have uh, mental services available there right on right on campus. Then our goal, our dream is to put in some other things that might be interesting, might be beneficial, like a small convenience store. So you'd be able to go down the sidewalk, go to the convenience store, maybe get some stuff for the house. You need some you know, soap or shampoo or food or soda or beer, whatever you need. You can get it right there. You don't have to get a ride to another convenience store. Maybe put in a coffee shop and have our clients work at the coffee shop, uh, possibly put in a theater room. You know, a lot of people don't realize blind people love movies. Um, you know, with audio description, uh, I sometimes get more out of a movie than my wife does. Mm -hmm. We went and saw Top Gun Maverick the other day, and they were telling me things through audio description. They weren't making clear of the movie. <laughs> and I told her, I just love it. When, I, mm -hmm. when I'm the one explaining parts of a movie, Great movie, by the way. Um, not a big Tom Cruise fan, but it's a great actor. <laughs> right. Um, but these are just some ideas that we have that we eventually want to move towards. And again, allowing our clients to spend the whole day down there, not having to worry about a ride. When it comes to rides, we're working with ride-hailing businesses that specialize in disabled people. That's great. But uh, I'm proud to announce we just got two minivans uh, that we're, uh, we're going to be able to start using soon. So we're going to be able to take more and more of our clients to and from their homes. But what a what a great uh, what a great deal! We're going to uh, have to remodel a huge chunk of the building. We're going to redo the whole front. We're going to have it make it look like it's new again. I'm preaching to the choir here, David. Uh, full disclosure for your listeners: you mentioned you're on the board. You're also the chair of the construction committee. Uh, thank you for that. You can probably tell more about it than I do at this point, but uh, it's a huge undertaking, but I'm so excited because it's going to help our clients. That's, that's the bottom line. Yeah. There's so many new opportunities um, for an organization that has been around is really is, you know, when you meet someone who's blind or people have family members, Oh, you know, it's the, the center. Everybody went to the center. And uh, the services you mentioned, you know, from social recreational type 
services, but I think a lot of people don't really know, and you kind of hinted on about lunch and serving serving lunch. ACBVI, a lot of the clients have uh, food insecurities, right? Is that right, Stan? Oh, absolutely. Uh, health securities, food securities. This is probably where you're going to go. I don't mean to steal your thunder, but so right now, actually, um, we're trying to serve breakfast and lunch. And then we're also having food available that our clients can come over and basically do some shopping, uh, take some stuff home with them. Some of our clients, the only time they were eating was when they came to the center. They were going the whole weekend without eating. And mm-hmm. when our new executive director, Steve Tepper, found that out, he's like, we got to package some you know, meals for these people to take home. And so what we realized is there's a whole lot more to taking care of the human body than just their blindness. They've got mm-hmm. all kinds of ancillary issues. And every one of those we can solve is one less they have to figure out. Absolutely. And and yeah, I kind of tossed you a little softball there. And and exactly it about you know the food insecurity and, and ACBVI doesn't charge their clients for that food. And so um, you know, those meals are given to people um typically who who don't have enough money to get as you mentioned food through the entire weekend. Um and or the resources to do that. And so as an organization, uh, it's, it's taking a bigger approach to health and wellness um, than just as a vocational rehabilitation center to help people get back to work. Um, it, it's a combination of all those things. And the organization really works in, within the community, um, partners with other other organizations to uh, provide those services, as you mentioned, Taros and and some of the other uh, organizations to help with the, the food donations. We're coming uh, close to uh, the end of our show. So, Steve, I want to ask, are, are there any other information or questions that maybe you would want to ask or propose to, to our listeners today and those out there um, that might want to know more about blindness or um, getting back to work in some of your journey? Maybe something that you typically would, would share with somebody? I just had a couple of comments, David. Uh, first of all, both of my books are available through the Arizona Talking Book Library. There it is. <laughs> and so, you know, if you're interested in reading either one of those books, just contact them. What was my second point? Hmm, it was a good one. I, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm very appreciative. Uh, you know, Steve, you're, you're one... Um, your story, very inspirational, um, we've been kind of talking about here is really overcoming and becoming, uh, you know, the person you're meant to be and doing the things that you're, you're supposed to be and challenge yourself to go back to work against all those odds, uh, challenge yourself to be, uh, an entrepreneur and own your own business, uh, challenging yourself to get out into the, the community on, on the road and, and tell your story and, you know, raising a family and, and just living life. So, um, thank you for sharing that uh, with us today. Thank you for, for everything that you're doing at uh, ACBVI and the support that you bring uh, to that organization and uh, to Guide Dogs of the Desert as well. I think all those things are really important to, to, for people to understand that there's so much that goes into our lives that help create who we are, right? Whether it's, you mentioned work, and the, the confidence you get, the, the social network you build through employment, the financial independence kind of status, all, all those things come through employment, come through your personal growth, 
it's just great to hear your story and, and your accomplishment. So thank you for, for doing that. I want to thank my sponsor today, Arizona Industries for the Blind. And we are an enterprise nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering people to achieve their version, the American dream, whatever that is, through dignified employment, as well as um, thanking Phoenix Business Radio X. Uh, Daryl Robinson here in the studio is my producer today. Just goes to prove that with the right training, the right technology, and the right attitude, people who are blind can compete and live a full and inclusive life. Thank you for listening to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time with your host, David Steinmetz. Be sure to subscribe to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time on your favorite podcast platform and tune in live on Phoenix Business Radio X every third Friday at 1 p.m. We hope you feel inspired by today's conversation and maybe we've even sparked a new idea or opportunity.